Wow. Well, thank you so much. That was amazing. And thank you for the song as well. It was just so good. And it's that idea of, um, of actually listening to God, isn't it? And it was just so important what um, Britt had to say about sometimes we push God out of our lives, but we need to remember God. I've had a few people saying when they um, watch the video or the, the uh, Zoom link uh, for our Sunday services, there's some things missing and they miss church. And um, so they wanted to see some more symbolism around uh, what we were doing. So I, I brought my picture of a, of a beautiful old church known as St. James. I have my candle here to remind us of the light of God shining in the darkness, shining in our own lives. And I have my Bible with me. And I also thought maybe it'd be a good idea if we did this. If you bring those same things to watch the video, um, so next week, come come with a candle, come with a come with a cross, come with your Bible, come with the book of prayer, and maybe that will help us by those symbols to remember that we're in God's presence, and we're in God's presence no matter what. But but being more aware of it is a good thing, and it also maybe will prompt us to take our Bibles out a little bit more often and read them, like uh, like Britt was saying. And I want to speak to you today about hope. You know, we've been living with COVID-19 for what seems like an awfully long time. The first reported case in the world officially was December 1st, 2019 in Wuhan, China. The WHO declared it a world pandemic on March the 11th. And this is day 213. That's how many days have passed since the WHO declared this a worldwide pandemic. Canada today has 160,535 cases of COVID. Over 9,319 people have died. And yesterday, Dr. Teresa Tam, Canada's chief public health officer, reported that each day this past week, there were 1,635 new cases being reported each day. And at a news conference yesterday, she said this, even more concerning is the fact that epidemic growth is continuing to accelerate and to spread. And she said, our chances to prevent a large resurgent narrows with each passing day of the accelerated pandemic growth. All of this news about COVID continues to increase our stress every day. We fear for ourselves, we fear for our parents, we fear for our children, we fear for those who are most vulnerable, we fear for the country. How are we going to get through this financial crisis that COVID seems to be creating? There are fears for government stability here in our own country, fears for stability in other countries. How many times have you heard it reported that Donald Trump says he doesn't know whether he's going to trust the election results? And we continue to keep him in our prayers that, um, that he might just truly hear from God in this matter. Fears that we have lost any way of communicating the truth abound. And if you watch Netflix's documentary, The Social Dilemma, you'll see more about what I mean on that. This film has been praised for being possibly the single most lucid, succinct, and profoundly terrifying analysis of social media ever. And I haven't even touched on the anxiety of global warming, rising sea levels, food shortages, refugee emergencies, and pending economic devastation. And if you aren't depressed enough by all of that and stressed out enough and full of fear um, from all of that, not choking from, from fear, then just read this book, David Wallace Wells, The Uninhabitable Earth, Life After Global Warming. We seem to be 
in a pretty bad place and fears abound because of the uncertainty. And Tim Keller, who's a, um, uh, an acclaimed uh, minister in the United States at Redeemer Church in New York, said, made this comparison. He said, all of us, we're all like little children sitting in our car seat. We have that little steering wheel. Remember, they used to have that. And they, the ch children feel like they're driving the car. And that really, we're like that child because we think we're in control of the world. And when we notice that the world seems out of control, and after the past two decades, it's become more and more obvious that things are moving out of control, then we think that the world is out of control. However, there is a difference because God is in control, just like the adult who's steering the car. He has a plan. Well, if you're not a Christian, you might not find that idea comforting. And even if you are a Christian, you still might not like that idea because we, we like the illusion of being in control. And the Bible puts forward the idea that God is in control of the whole universe and he holds it together and he's in control and he has a plan. But to accept that idea, you need to have a certain amount of humility. You need to be humble enough to say, well, I'm like that child compared to God. I need to recognize that God has a plan and that plan will work. We need to follow God's plan. The prophet Isaiah um, recorded these words which God spoke. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than yours. So, if you believe there is a God, and even if you don't, if you believe he's spoken to us, and even if you don't, he has a plan, and we can stop living in fear and start living in hope. You know, after my long summer holiday, I, I had a renewed sense of hope. And it's been strengthened because I have a deep inner conviction that God is in control, that God has a plan, that going through hard times isn't a sign that God has resigned as creator of the universe and preserver of all the earth and everything in it, but that God is working within all of that. And that even in the hard times, God will never leave you nor forsake you. He's there with you. And in Canada, we're not used to living under such stress. For the past 70 years or so, We've lived in a time of relative peace and security, no major interruptions to living out the Canadian dream. We've had continued prosperity, medical system that works. We've enjoyed good government. That wasn't so for Canadians who lived between 1900 and 1950. There was World War I, then there was a big pandemic which killed many, many people. And then the Second World War, which was probably the most horrific conflict the world has ever known. And since then, between, then and, uh, 19, between now and 1950, the majority of Canadians just have enjoyed relative peace, prosperity, and good life. So we don't really know how to cope with disaster. We don't know what to do when we see a world out of control. And we wonder, where's the hope? In our culture, there's two points of view. There's the secular culture that says, Here's where your hope comes from. Hope comes just from inside of you, within you. You, by yourself, have everything you need to solve all your problems. And your problems are all the things that are wrong in the world. Christian culture says something different. It says, your hope comes from God. God is the answer to all of the difficulties you face. And your problems are inside you. And it's something inside of you that's 
broken that needs to be healed. And God offers you a way for that. The secular idea of hope is this. <laughs> it's not very encouraging. It's we're all headed toward oblivion. The secular point of view is there is no God. There is no life after death. There is no supernatural. There's no transcendence. Impersonal forces have brought about life. And um, we're just here by accident. To the secularist, there's no meaning in life if you dig deep because we're all here by accident. And the Christian point of view is this. God is. He exists. He created the universe and everything in it. Because of this, there is meaning in life. Because of this, there is right and wrong. Because of this, there is truth. And that God made each human being. And each human being is made in the image of God. Because of that, you and I have great value, great worth. And because God is relational, you were created to live in a relationship with God and with other people. And because of this, there's hope. There's hope for the future, a reasonable hope. All religions, all belief systems offer some kind of hope. It is hope that if you work hard enough or try hard enough, God might accept you. Accept you. Or the secular hope that using the same techniques, working hard, we'll somehow come up with a way forward. And if not, we're just supposed to be happy. The secularist idea is that we have the power within us to overcome all of our problems. And if you take a look at the world around you and the problems we face, read this book if you don't believe me, you start to, um, to question if we really have the power to solve all of our problems or begin to see the world under our systems is in trouble and trouble because of what we've done. Only Christianity offers this reasonable hope, which is centered on knowledge and evidence. In Paul's letter to the people who are living in Philippi, which was read this morning by Helen, um, Paul is talking about the first half of his life. And he says, you know, I thought I had everything right in my life. I thought I'd accomplished a lot. I was totally successful. Just take a look at my credentials. And he, and he lists them, you know, he says, in my career, in my standing in the community, in my relationships, in my knowledge. I was proud, says Paul that I worked hard and made my mark in the world. And I even believed that I knew what it meant to please God. And Paul says, you know, if anybody reading this has reason to think that he or she has grounds for confidence in his or her human heritage and attainments, I had way more than that. But then he says, as I lived my life, as I had a look about what was wrong deep down inside, I knew I hadn't really been the success that I thought I was being. Self-examination, you see. God calls us all to examine our lives, to listen to what patterns our lives are telling us exist in, in what we do and say and think. And God says, don't be afraid to say this isn't working. In fact, he encourages you to say that and then to say, help, help to God. Like when we're in the middle of the pandemic or when our marriage is falling apart or when you wake up one morning and you say, what am I doing? What's the purpose of all this? What's this all about? When you wake up one morning and say, I don't know what I did wrong, but I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about the future. I'm worried about so many things. What's the purpose and meaning of all of my life? And Paul says, I had a good look at my life and now I know I count all of the first half of my life as rubbish 
the things that I thought were the greatest importance of my life turned out to be the least important. And that's because, he says, I learned it's all about relationship, relationship with God. I thought it was about working hard. I thought it was about being the person who followed the rules. I thought it was about criticizing anybody who didn't do things just the way I thought God's law commanded. But he says, that's not what it's about. It's about entering into an intimate relationship with God. And he says, all of my life, I've been trying to get into that right relationship with God. I tried and tried and tried to please God. I didn't understand that all of that was like dung. Um, I think they say in the version that we read, rubbish, but actually, you know, the King James translation has it correctly. It's the Greek word bellamina. And um, uh, it was, a, it was an, a medical term that meant excrement. So he says, I found the law and all its ways of mo no more use than bellamina. Instead, I had to admit that I didn't have the power, I didn't have the knowledge, I didn't have the wisdom or the strength to build up a good standing with God. So I then had to be humble. And he said, I came to God in faith and humbly so. And I trusted and I found hope in just the way that Jesus said to. And that was how Paul found out what he'd been searching for all of his life. He found fellowship with God. And that's what the real life quest is all about. So Paul says, in my experience, I know that you will never get into a right relationship with God by your own efforts, by what you do, by, by your achievements. And that the only way to get into a right relationship with God is by taking Jesus at his word. And he says, you have to accept that God is offering you this real life. That he's willing to accept you just as you are. He offers you love and freedom, intimate relationship. All those things that you tried to earn or manufacture for yourself really come from knowing God. And Paul talks about that in Philippians verse 10. He says, my object is to know him. And by that, I mean the power of his resurrection and fellowship in his suffering. See, that's what Paul's saying. Not that everything's going to be easy peasy but it'll be all bound up in this relationship. And the Greek word that Paul uses, ginoskein, it means personal knowledge, not just knowing the facts or theories or principles, it's personal experience with another person. The Hebrew equivalent verb to ginoskein is yada, which meant sexual intercourse. These words indicate the closest and most personal knowledge that you can have of a person. So Paul is saying, it's not enough to know about Jesus or about God, but to know him personally, deeply. And it's about knowing, having an intimate understanding, an intimate relationship, and understanding in the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Because for Paul, the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just simply something that happened to Jesus a long time ago. It was way more than that. It was a living dynamic power which works within the life of each person who knows Jesus. Christianity is the only faith that is based on evidence that is verifiable. The most comprehensive accounting of the evidence of the resurrection was all brought together and written by Tom Wright in his book, The Most Formidable Compendium of the Resurrection. It's called The Resurrection of God. It's 900 pages of scholarly accounting of the ancient history and what happened to all of the evidence that's available. And it pulls together the strong evidence that there were a lot of witnesses 
to the resurrection of Jesus, that they were recorded soon after they'd happened, and that there's evidence that so soon, within a week or two of the death of Jesus, this movement exploded onto the stage of life. And he pulls together how difficult it is to explain that explosive birth of the Christian church unless there was a trigger, unless something exploded, unless the resurrection of Jesus, which all of the faith is based on, was real. And so he says, you know, if you don't find that compelling, then you can't just ignore all of this that was written. And he challenges you to come up with a plausible explanation. The resurrection is the evidence of God at work in the world. It's evidence of the power of God at work in the life of each person in the world. It's the guarantee of the value of you and me, of every person. Because Jesus rose, died and rose from the dead for everybody, the believer and the non-believer, for everyone. It's a guarantee that in life, in death, beyond death, is the presence of God. It's a guarantee that life is worth living and that it has meaning because you are just an accident, you're created. It's the guarantee of hope, hope in everything. And it doesn't mean, hope doesn't mean, you know, having hope in God doesn't mean it's because everything went so easy peasy, so wonderfully good that nothing bad ever happened. You know, that certainly wasn't true for Jesus. He had a great amazing life, but he had sorrow and pain and hurt. But God was with him through it all. And God is there and God is present in your life too, through that relationship. And look, Tom Wright's book doesn't prove anything like a, the way a chemical formula does or a mathematic equation does. But it does have a lot of evidence, very strong evidence, it challenges us deeply. Here was Jesus, died on a tree as a criminal. Not many days after his death and resurrection, here were Jewish people worshiping him as God. How could that happen? The Jewish people were taught to worship no one or no thing except Yahweh, their God. And here was a human being claiming to be one with God, claiming to be God come to earth to rescue us. And that's what Paul's talking about in his letter to the Philippians. He said at one time he put his trust in doing good works. He put his faith in serving the law. But then he had this encounter with this Jesus, this human being, this man, who was also God, and it changed his life. And he began to worship Jesus as God. He began to follow Jesus, not the law. He was adamant that you couldn't follow Jesus at first. I mean, he was persecuting the Christians because they, they trusted that Jesus was God. And now all of a sudden, something happened in his life and he thought, I was wrong. And he started to worship Jesus as God. And compared to all that he did in his life before knowing Christ, all that he had accomplished, and he accomplished a lot, that was nothing, he said. It counts as a loss compared to knowing Jesus. From this, he has hope, tremendous hope. Uh, I mean, he went to jail and suffered all sorts of things, but he wouldn't give up this idea that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God come to earth to rescue us. And you'll discover that. Our God is the God who rescues us and saves us from 
evil thoughts that we have from the things that we do. Here is what he says, yesterday, today, tomorrow, and throughout history. Exodus 20. Then the Lord God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of slavery, out of the house of slavery, out of Egypt. You will have no other gods before me. Don't make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is heaven above or on the earth beneath or the water under the earth. Don't make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day. It ties you to this idea of creation and God creating everything and keep it holy. And we live in that relationship with God. And then we, the, the rest of the Ten Commandments are about our relationships for a good life, a life full of meaning, a life full of value. And it's about how we love one another. And so there is incredible hope in this idea, which is found in entering into that relationship with Jesus and making him central in your life. We follow the rules because they're rules of God's love. And we've been so touched by God's love that we want to do all we can to show it. Living in the love of God brings incredible hope. And so let's pray. Loving Father, we praise you and thank you for the hope that we have in you. We praise you and thank you that there is a way through all of the things that are happening in the world and that we can trust you, that you're in control. Just want to pray that just renew that within us. Help us to know that you are there. Help us to put away all of the things that we did that didn't work and help us to make you the center of all of our lives and send the Holy Spirit to fill us with power. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.